Hello and welcome to Victory Points. I'm Becca Scott. And I'm Jake Michaels. This is a podcast about people who love tabletop games interviewing other people who love tabletop games about the tabletop games they love. Did you know that, Scott Rogers? I did not know that, but I do love tabletop games, and I am a person who loves tabletop games, so therefore, we will be loving and talking about tabletop games together. Perfect. <laughs> you nailed it. Okay, so you've heard him. Our guest is Scott Rogers, designer of tabletop games, video games, a co-co-host of Ludology, the podcast. <laughs> he teaches game design at New York Film Academy, NIFA, they say in the biz. He's an alum Disney Imagineer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you say alum, but... Ex-Imagineer? No, it's I like think being... alum sounds cooler. Alum sounds better. I once Imagineer, be, always Imagineer. It'd be nice to be Disney legend, but not, I didn't do anything significant enough to qualify for that. So. Ex-Imagineer sounds pretty hearts. bad. Thank you. Yeah, that's cool. All right, ex- I'll take Ex-Imagineer. Ex-Imagineer. He literally wrote the book on video game design used in university-level courses. There's Level Up, the guide to great video game design, and Swipe This, the guide to touchscreen game design. Yeah. And uh, we met when I had the chance to play his 2017 tabletop game release of Ray Guns and Rocket Ships yeah, by IDW. That was fun. Tell me more things that I left out because you have a Ooh. immense resume. Uh, I also teach at the University of Southern California in their interactive media department. Heard of them. Which is the number one interactive media school in the whatever world, I guess. <laughs> Country at least. Universe, in fact. Universe, I think. Far. Well, we haven't we haven't done that cross universe um plan yet anyway uh i've (laughs) also satellite school yes so very good i got that um also i have designed video games for many years about 25 years and um a lot of them games that you may have heard of uh like uh, god of war or pac-man world or darksiders or warhammer 40k or drawn to life or lots of spongebob games or (laughs) maximo which was one of my favorites to work on and uh yeah lots and lots of video games and uh so i did that but i have always loved tabletop games i've been playing them since i was a little little kid uh and so i kind of feel like i've kind of rolled around full circle Awesome. Oh, and I also made Pantone the game that just came out 2018. Party game, you guys played it? Yeah. yeah. You guys know what Pantone is? We played it. I've come across it. it. Did we play it? I feel like you and I did play it together. Which, Tell us more. Yeah, <laughs> please remind us. So the Pantone color system is a uh, for computer, or well, not computer, but graphic artists uh, who, it's their way of essentially staying literally on the same page. So let's say Becca is in New York and she is making a lovely um, Victory Point logo and she wants to make sure her hair is just the right color of red. Ugh, and I'm it never in, is. And I'm in California <laughs> and I'm creating some beautiful artwork for her and she looks in her Pantone book and says, I got to make sure my hair is orange. Orange, you know, three C three. Well, I don't know the actual number. C three thirty two twenty five is my hair color. All right, there you, you found go. Found it. So, uh, so then I look in my book and I make sure that the paints or the dyes or the Photoshop or whatever is the same color. So then, when I send it back to you, you go, "That is perfect," and here's your money. Um, <laughs> so that so that's Pantone. They've been around since the fifties. They're uh, but what's really cool about it is there are Pantone nerds, right? Just like everything else, everybody sure. is into it, and. The game that I designed was originally called Who's Hue, and it's a party game (laughs) where you are creating colorful characters out of uh, colored cards and clever clues, and you are laying them out. Uh, So, for example, if I have a card and I I put out some colored cards, and essentially I'm making maybe like Batman out of uh, colored cards, and you look at it and you're going to guess, and if you don't know who it is right away, then I'm going to give you some clues, but the points go down the more guesses you have to take. So it's a bit like... um, 
uh, Taboo, maybe, okay. or you know, one of those other party games. Love it. Um, so it's essentially I call Pictionary with pixels, and um, because my background in video games, and I used to do pixel art, and well, whatever. Anyway, uh, so when I was at Gen Con one year, I was uh, pitching uh, to Cryptozoic Entertainment, our friends over there, and they make lots of great games. And I was pitching all different other types of things, and they're like, "What else you got? What else you got?" And then I said, "Well, I have this one little game, but I don't think you guys be interested in it because you guys don't do this type of game." And they're like, "No." No, no, we want to see it. I'm like, nah, it's not. It's 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 nothing. Ooh, it's tease him. A, yeah, tell yeah. him. No, it's not I was. For them. I did. No, that's what I know. We get In it. retrospect, now I'm like, oh, what a Ultimate great strategy. Yeah. Right. But I but I was I was honestly hesitant to show them the game, and so finally I pull it out and we start playing it. And um, Corey Jones, who is one of the co-owners of Cryptozoic, he gets kind of this mad gleam in his eye, and he's like, ooh, I know exactly the license I want to put on this game. And I thought it was going to be like DC Comics or Cartoon Network. They do a lot of Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah, Rick and Morty. They do all these great licenses. And I thought they were going to just say, oh, let's do Who's You, but like, you know, Cartoon Network or whatever. And he goes, Pantone. And I go, I, but the good thing was I went to art school, so I knew what the heck Pantone was. So for like two seconds, I'm kind of scratching my head going, mm. and I went, yeah, I totally see it could work. Let's do it. And the thing that's amazing about it was we were at Gen Con last year with it and, and showing it off. And people were like coming out of the blue and, oh, my God, I love Pantone and I've been using it for years and it's my favorite thing. And I'm so amazed that you guys made a game out of it. And so so who knew? Yeah, well, Corey knew. But I didn't know. I, I was just making a fun little game for my family. So Wow. That's so cool cool that some of the best games can come from the most obscure of topics. It doesn't have to be an entire well, story. It can just be an idea or a thing that people know. Right. And I'm honestly surprised that nobody had thought of it before <laughs> before I made that game. But um, but yeah, it's, it's very simple. It's very fast. It takes about, uh, you know, like 15, 20 minutes to play. Uh, but it goes up to like 20 players. So you can... That's you what have the like box a, says. Yeah, the box does say that. And so... Um, yeah, and you can buy it at Amazon or at Barnes and Noble or wherever, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun if you like party games. If you like if you like games about being creative, but you don't feel like you're a very creative person, mm-hmm. it's still a good game for you. Those games are super crucial because whenever we put somebody on the spot with a lot of these games that require creativity, they get such anxiety. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it's very it's very great to have a game like this where it is just like throw your car down in a space. And justify it, right. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I mean, that a bit of that was intentional in design because I, I'm an artist and I, I'm pretty good at drawing. Not, not, I'm, I'm no Jim Lee, but I'm pretty good. <laughs> uh, but um, I'm really good at playing Pictionary because I can communicate very fast and I'm more of a cartoonist, so I, I draw very quickly and and, and all that. You're but, getting an idea across, not having to start with the shading first. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no chiaroscuro when I play, right. you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, stick figures work Yeah, fast. stick figures work well. Um, but uh, but I was good at doing it, but I had lots of other friends and family that would get very angsty about um, creating these characters in Pictionary. And and I noticed, I noticed that. Like, it kind of impacted the game, and I wanted to make a game that removed that uncomfortability uh, out of the equation. And so... That feeling like you... You don't have the skill to yeah, play this yeah, game. But every, anybody can. But anybody can lay down colored cards and move them around in a little configuration. And and the great thing about the game is you don't you're you there aren't enough cards to make like replicas of characters. And and the you only get four uh, of each color, and that's actually intentional because most people draw a human figure using five cards: one for the head, two for the arms, two for the legs. Mm-hmm. And I removed that. I wanted it to be. Um, 
I wanted people to be more, more creative abstract. than that. Well, more abstract, but also more creative. So at the the initial stage of the game design, literally was like uh, I lay down a uh, red card, a white card, and a blue card. And Becca, who is this? And then that is Lady Liberty herself. It could be Lady Liberty herself. <laughs> it could be Captain America. It could be Wonder Woman. Whatever, right? But then as the clues would come in, then I'd say, you know, uh, Invisible Jet, and you'd be like, oh, Wonder Woman, or whatever, right? So, so part of the game was that association of the color with the character. And that's the reason why I chose all characters is that a lot of the, uh, the they call closure skills, right? So when you can see, like if you see something out of the corner of your eye or you're scanning the supermarket shelf and you know what the box cover of Captain Crunch is and you're looking for that red and yellow and blue, that's Captain Crunch or the shape of his hat or whatever, that's your closure skills working. And so we're able to very quickly identify things that we're familiar with. And a lot of it has to do with color. And so that was kind of the foundation of the game was this idea of we associate color with characters and or we've been trained to through, you know, animation and comic books and and uh, movies and things like that. And um, and so that's kind of where the idea started that, oh, it's very easy to make that jump between some very abstract things to a, an idea about a character. That's um, really interesting. Oh, you yeah. Know, yeah. Um, that theory applies to games in sort of like the Dixit world mm -hmm. or Mysterium because sure. uh, I noticed that some people associate colors with one another and other people associate shapes yep. or like a specific object, but you've limited it to just color so that the different methods of thinking don't put someone ahead or behind. Right. Everybody's just, you're just thinking in color. Right, so right. it takes away that variability, which makes it more um, open to anybody. It's almost like interpreting like iconography. Almost. Oh yes, very really, much. Really, so. instead of just art, it's like symbols and like how you create them. Yeah, and and even to the point where at, at, in the middle of the production, people would come and say, "Well, maybe we should make different shaped." Um, cards, right? No. Well, yeah, I did. I did. Fish was, slam. I, yeah, I did fish <laughs> slam and go no because the abstraction of the cards um, a is more flexible than you think. B, originally, uh, at one point they suggested, let's just make them squares. And I said, well, you know, with squares, um, you, it actually limits the amount of things you can do. And and I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of the creations that people have made online, but they've made some pretty um, detailed and convincing imagery of these characters because they've had these unusual longer, you know, it's they have a longer side. They've yeah. doubled their options in terms of length. Exactly. The square, no matter how you rotate it, is still the same dimension. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and you can do fun little things with the corners peeking there's, out and all there's that. There's a good one on the Pantone website, I think, of Abraham Lincoln, which uh -huh. is a really solid yep. example. Yeah, we have a Facebook page, oh, and I snap. put up, usually when people send me uh, their creations, I love to put them up and share them with the so world. So were they sitting on the Pantone IP just like, man, the expanded universe idea we had just isn't working. We need a game. <laughs> For Pantone. Yeah, PCU. Um, <laughs> the comics aren't selling either. Exactly. The, the MMO we designed is just no, dead. The, the way I understand it from how Corey told me was that he had wanted to do a game with the Pantone license for a long time, but never at a game. And I showed up with the game. Yeah. And so it was just this serendipitous thing of his desire to do something with Pantone. I had the game that worked for that license, and it was a happy marriage. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. so satisfying for him to be the great connector of these <laughs> ideas. Well, he's a smart guy. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. There's so many things I want to talk about, but one is something you've been looking into, which is position at the table. Now, I don't want to oh, give away because I know you're working on yeah, things about this, still, and you've been doing still research. On that, but. 
But just the idea in general is so interesting to me yeah. that I've never thought about that before, except perhaps in games where you can only trade with the people adjacent to you. Right. Um, but no, not forced, not forced positioning, but actual like where you sit and and even a little bit who you're sitting next to is part of it as well. It, it came from an observation that I was making, and part of it is because I'm getting older, my eyesight is not as good as it used to be, so now I have to have glasses to look at little things. And I was playing a game where a major component of the gameplay was at the far end of the table. Mm. It was it was a big sprawling uh, game, and there were lots of really neat things going on. But the but the the this one component, which was pivotal to success in the game, was all the way at the far end of the table, and I was sitting at the other end. And it was like a, we were playing like a four player game. And I found that at the end of the game, I hadn't thought much about that thing, partially because I wasn't next to it. And so that got me thinking about, so then I played a few other games and I started to notice watching the other players that as they were placing, like worker placement, for example, like Lords of Waterdeep, um, where the player sits, Mm. they're more likely to play in the area that is immediate to them because A, they can read it and B, it's within hand reach. Yes. And so now I started, as I'm watching my friends playing these games, I'm starting to see little patterns. It's not consistent all the way across. This is why I need to still do more research, but I'm noticing trends. And the and and that uh, once I start noticing some trends, I start formulating priorities. And and I've already kind of known this, but it but I kind of recodified it for myself, which which was the priority of things within reach of the player. So I've I've devised, I think it's a five or six tier system of priority for players that that game designers should be thinking about because it it's based around the idea of what is forefront in their mind as they're thinking about playing the game so the first thing is the thing you are holding in your hand which in most cases is a hand of cards right some cases maybe not but mostly it is right or or tokens or tiles or something like that so let's say um I'm playing a game, I've got this hand of cards. So I'm thinking immediately about what do I have? What am I gonna play? What am I gonna play next, right? My second hand, this is the number two priority, is the hand that is manipulating things in the world. Now, you know, abendextrous, whatever, there's a lot of ways to, you can say, well, you know, what about this, Scott? Well, all right, shut up. Well, Tanders um, forever. Exactly. So, but this, <laughs> is the the, but this is the hand that moves the mover, places the worker, rolls the dice, uses the pen to keep track of things, moves the points up the victory track, whatever, right? That's that's hand number two. Now, sometimes those hands can change priority. It, and, and it's something that I've been playing with a little bit. So Reagans and Rocket Ships actually does this, yeah. uh, where you start off the game with cards that you program. So you have this hand of cards, and then you program in your cards, and then you set the rest of those cards aside. And now you pick up this other hand of cards, and this is the things that you're going to be using uh, to help uh, you manipulate your characters on the board, right? So, so what I've done is I've realized that essentially you can't have two hands of cards going at once, right? It's just too hard to juggle. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving you an opportunity to kind of set things down, go, okay, I'm done with these. Now I'm picking up these other ones and now they become the new hand. So this is a this is a technique game designers can do, right? We can alternate these Focus. kind of almost like mindset. Yeah, switching switching your mindset, right? I'm thinking about it in this context. All right, now these other cards do other things. 
now I'm doing this other thing. Right. So that's, Some games have phases yeah, and each phase yeah, requires different parts of the brain. Right. And that's how the game designers can help uh, chunk these out, right? Like it's almost like a phone number where the phone numbers are divided up, you know, 805. Put those dashes makes all the difference. Yeah, the dashes do, though, because humans have a tough time remembering anything past seven digits. Mm. And so that's why those chunked up because how many if you're doing area code that's nine digits our brains can't handle it right <laughs> it's too much yeah, or whatever to 11 or i forget how many it is but <laughs> but the point is um it's 10 it's 10 all right thank you becca doing some quick uh, mental math uh anyway so humans can't handle that's too many 10 is too many so that's why they've chunked it up like that right and there's tons of research done about that um, it helps, though, to be hanging around with guys like Jeff Engelstein and Gil Hova because they're smart and they, they come up with this stuff. And then I kind of go, oh, I'll talk about that, too. I'll sound smart also. <laughs> anyway. Um, you so bring your own flavor to it. I do. I'm the comedy relief, I think. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how I've been treating it. Um, so the third layer is the thing in front of you. And that's the tableau. Right. So, for example, Scythe has that wonderful tableau with yes. lots of little minis. And now that becomes, all right, I've. I'm not doing something with the hands, or maybe I'm doing it in tangent, but I might put stuff down, and now I'm thinking about the tableau in front of me, because it's my dinner plate, right? All that yummy stuff is is right there. It's not a fork, it's not a knife, it's my food, right? So there's a lot, there can be a lot more activity in here, because it is it doesn't need to be manipulated as often. So right. like in Scythe, you have the, well, which one of these am I going to take, and then I'm going to pick it up, and then I'm going to move it to position number four, which is the shared board, usually the shared world, right? So this is the kind of the separation between me and everybody else, right? So now we've kind of passed this little threshold to now place our worker placement, move our guy. Likely in a space within arm's reach. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, now that's where it gets interesting, right? Because we are much more likely to go for targets that we can reach because there are many games that, that often say you should stand while playing. So, for example, one of my favorite games is Formula D which is that car racing game, right? You have those polyhedral dice, you roll them, they replicate, replicate the gears, and you drive your little car. But the tracks are big, the boards are massive, they fill up a whole dinner table. And you should not play that game sitting down. You should be standing up and moving around because there's going to be points where your car is zipping around the curves, and so you should move yourself over to where it is and then count out the spaces and roll the dice and all that, right? So it's there are certain tables, you know, Warhammers like that, a lot of miniatures games sure. are like that. They're not meant to be, they're not meant to be just lock yourself in and play like D&D. They're meant to be get up, move around, and manipulate. Um, so the board in the middle, a lot of game. But the problem is when you have a hand or a tableau, that's locking you into a place. Yes. Right? So, so your focus... So you, you're like, well, it's a little weird to get up and move around, or I've got to kind of, excuse me, squeeze my way past. Um, you so, need a tray table yeah. that's attached to your chest. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, nobody's invented that, although that's not a bad idea. Uh, uh, trademark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Hold on, let me get on the trademark website. copywriting right now. So, um, so that shared space, um, depending on the scale of it, uh, then becomes very important about where am I placing. And like I said, I've been noticing this trend where people place usually closer to where they're at. So as a player, it's a good habit to try to break that, right? Yeah. Because now you, you want all those options and you don't want to limit yourself. Are you comparing these people also by like their level of experience within the game? Oh, I'm, I'm not even there yet. I, <laughs> even, like I, I literally well, made this observation like 
five months ago, and I've just been starting to. I'm so curious how that relates to like new players who can who are learning all these new symbols and instructions on the game board, and they see something that's closer to them more frequently, right? So right. they become more familiar with the concept. Whereas you're right, if the corruption tracker or whatever's on the other side, right. they won't think about it as often. I'm going to postulate a theory, and that is a new player might be more likely to get up and see what's on the far side of a board than an experienced one. What? That is counterintuitive. It is counterintuitive, but a new player is still trying to learn all the elements of the game. True. Whereas an experienced player knows, put all your eggs in one strategy basket and go hard on that. Well, and there might even be players. I do know some games that I've seen happen where players will be like, oh, I want to sit next to this because this is the thing that I'm going to be doing. Oh, right, so there's so there's certain I've certain games kind of promote that that there's certain spots in the board that are dedicated to certain things, uh, like uh, Shadows over over Camelot, right? Like have kind of those little areas designated. You know, here's where the jousting is, here's where the Black Knight thing is, here's whatever. And so maybe um, you might find somebody positioning themselves near something that they think is either strategically advantageous or maybe they just like it. Right. So so that's uh, so we're we're one hand, two hand, tableau, middle. So we're at four. So let's go on to five. Five is any sideboards. So in Lords of Waterdeep, the skulls of Skullport or whatever right. it's called. That's, two little add on. Yeah, that's map the locations. corruption board or those little boards that get added in. Um, or like in the case of the game that I was playing, this kind of sideboard that had this different tracking system going on. And um, and that is where trouble kind of arises in my book, where it's very easy to not be paying attention to these things. And you could even, if you are kind of a sneaky player, you could even choose to well, let me push just, that further yeah, away from the other players. Yeah, so they maybe don't notice it as much or don't take advantage of it as much. So the goal as a game designer is to either come up with a clever way to move it around, to like make it accessible to the players, um, so, for example, I know Lazy some, Susan the game. Yeah, Lazy Susan or... or uh, game, I bet Corey's got their number yeah. on his list of Or, or game tray, right? Like build a nice game tray that then you can... Almost like an hors d'oeuvre tray, right? Where you can pass <laughs> it around. So that way people can move it from a position uh, five to a position one or two or three, Or right? between rounds, you have to rotate the location yeah, of different parts yeah, of the map. Yeah, that's a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Zulkin does something like that, right, where things kind of move around as you go, so you have to pay attention. Or there's some other games that have the kind of rotating uh, stuff underneath the board. There's like a Doctor Who game that does that. Anyway, um, uh, so then the last position, number six, is the rule book. Well, you skipped five. No, five no, no, is no, the five sideboard. Five is the sideboard. Five what was the, four? Are the, four is the, is the middle the of the, tableau, the group the map. table. What was three? Three is tableau, the tableau. Personal tableau. What was two? It was the side one hand. hand. What was one? Is your primary hand. Okay, good. Everybody's right. keeping track of it. All right. Thank you for keeping me honest, Yeah, yeah, Jake. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, <laughs> we'll so number six, number six is the rule book. And the huh. thing is that how often do you really want to dive into the rule book when you're playing a game? You never want to let other people see. You want to be the only one with access to the rule well, book. Well, that's part of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, there are people that bogart the rule book. No. But um, there Can't are other – but but a rule book – so part of the thing, like, you know, many games have a guide on the back page, right? Because it's meant to, it's meant to be the shorthand for – 
Don't look in the book. Here's everything you kind of need to know. Once you dive into the rule book, that's where trouble starts because mm -hmm. particularly if you don't have a, a great laid out rule book, it can cause problems. People often are looking around. I don't know where it is. And then the kind of the adjunct number six, although maybe it counts as number seven, is then having to go online to look at what's going on, right? Because that's going to literally screech the game to a halt, right? Even the rule book will bring the game yeah, to a halt. Yeah, number seven is the forums of people. Right. Here's my house rule. Gil is always talking about the magic circle, and I feel that six and seven break the magic circle. If you have to leave the reality of the game and enter the world of the rules, that's where problems start to happen as a design. So whatever you can do, I mean, it's it's perfectly fine to have those there as resources, and, and it's great that they exist. But it, as a game designer, your goal is to try to prevent that from mm -hmm. happening. And ah. if it and if it happens a lot, then there's some sort of problem with because a lot of that information should either be in your one or two position on your tableau or in the main board, yes. right? And that's yeah. where you want like most the little of, cards that have turn orders and right. stuff, which we are always blessed with. Oh, we love a good player guide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for a new player, it gives them this sense of betrayal from a game yeah. if someone else knew something else, and even if you said it's like. Oh, well, I didn't know that scored right. points. I always feel bad when that happens, when we're scoring up final I victory know, points. I like, oh, yeah, if you have three workers here, you also get these points. Well, if I'd known that. Right, right. And well, I, we and said it real quick at the I beginning. Know, I mean, but once, right. yeah, but once again, also, when you're reading the rule book, particularly if you're kind of slogging your way through it, people tend to remember things near the end of the experience. So if even if you, I mean, don't get me wrong. Whenever I tell my students when they're writing a rule book, I always say you need to start with what's the objective of the game because it puts everything in context. Yes. But I also feel that at the end of the rule book, you should also reiterate it and say, oh, by the way, just in case you've forgotten, this is the partially because it's a little easier to find at the end of the book. So you just have to flip a page or two rather than kind of dig right. past all the fiction. Uh, and then... Um, and, and it's good to have that reminder, right? So if I go into playing, uh, you know, any sort of game and go, all right, the ways that I can win are A, B, or C, I'm going to keep that in my head. And if I have that little reminder at the end, don't forget, the ways to win are A, B, or C, then I can go, right, all right, now I can move forward and start playing the game. That's interesting that you said it should go last because I was thinking about that when you were talking about proximity of what's near you and thinking about the psychology of when you're giving someone choices. Yeah. I was doing a little online poll to see what movie uh, uh, I should watch with uh, my housemates and I obviously put the ones that I wanted best first <laughs> and then the one I wanted very, very most last because right. it's the last thing that sticks in your head. Yep. Yeah. So how can you be fair? You can't. You can't because we experience things chronologically. Like we humans experience life chronologically and everything. So far. Even well, <laughs> well even if I put a sheet of paper in front of you and it has four things on it, the position of where on the paper they live is important. Like if you know anything about comic books, right? There's a certain way the eye them. moves around the page, right? Then that's the same for text and, and all types of things like that. So so we read things chronologically and the order absolutely matters. And your strategy, of course, by putting the thing you want most near the end is pretty good. Uh, there's, there's often... Um, uh, the uh, strategy, uh, like when I used to work for Disney, when we would pitch ideas, often we'd put the best idea uh, second because you'd look at the first one and you'd go, all right, that's not bad, but let's see what's next. 
Then you look at the next one, you go, ooh, that's really good. And then you look at the third one, you go, ah, eh, it's not as good as that oh, second well, that one. That second one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? And does the second one tend to build off the first one, whereas yeah, the first one was like a baser there's, version? There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of mind <laughs> effing you can do to, <laughs> yeah. to get people to do a little bit what you want. And make them think you thought of a lot more ideas than you actually did. Well, there's that, too. That Well, that's the whole art of pitching, right? Where yeah. you you give them the barest bones and then they fill in everything else for you. You're like, absolutely, it's going to have dogs with wings in it. And that's a great idea, of course. And you're like frantically writing all this stuff down. Absolutely. What did they say? How many wings did the dog have? Six? Uh, I prefer a dog with six wings. All right. Well, you know what? Whew. So intensely excited about these six elements that uh, forgot to take Yeah, a break. I should so write this stuff down. we're going to take a quick down, little break. Huh? You should maybe, have you ever thought of writing a book? Well, I've written two, but they were about <laughs> video games. So actually, uh, I, I have. Now, we have we'll to take a quick that. little break. But we'll when we come break. back, we have so much more to talk about with Scott Rogers. Hello, and welcome back to Victory Points. I'm here with Scott Rogers. I'm Becca Scott. And I'm Jake Michaels. Oh, hey. Hi. Uh, and we're having such a fun time. It's almost like you uh, lecture on gaming for a living. I know a little bit about gaming. You do, and you know how to talk about them. Uh, I try my best. All right. Now, I want to talk about some specific games, because that's what we do here okay. on Victory Points. We cool. like to shout out games that people might be interested in, or mm-hmm. just what you've been playing lately. And there are two games that you mentioned that you have enjoyed playing lately that uh, I think you know a thing or two about the awards they received as well. The first is Wingspan. I did. I have played played Wingspan. Only once, though, but I liked it a lot. It's Stonemaier Games. Yeah, Jamie Stonemaier is the publisher. The designer is Elizabeth Hargraves, and she just won the Kennerspiel, which is a very, very... Kennerspiel! Yeah, yeah. Good job, Elizabeth. And it's her first game she designed. That's pretty insane. It's, It's a little insane. As a game designer, I go, uh, it's her first. That's that's very cool. And speaking of taking a simple concept like Pantone colors, and uh, this is a game about birds. Yeah, yeah. And (laughs) about bird identification. Originally, I'm trying to think if if it was about something else first. I heard we just recently. uh, So my co-hosts on Ludology, um, Gil and Emma. They spoke to her a couple of weeks ago and, and interviewed her about the game. And I, I want to, I was, I kind of remember her saying that the game was themed to something else, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe it was always birds. Well, our um, listeners will have to go check out that episode. Yeah, you should of go Ludology. listen to Ludology. It's good and it's free. So yeah, yeah. unless you want to Patreon us, and that's always good. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Elizabeth uh, wanted to create a game about birds and. And, but what's really lovely about the game, it has gorgeous art. It's it's a very clever design. Um, but it's also educational in the way that I like things being educational, which is you don't realize it. Right. Um, and as a result, Elizabeth has gotten a lot of great attention from organizations that normally have nothing to do with board games. For example, like Birders Societies. Yeah. You know, the Audubon Society has said, oh my gosh, this this game is 100% correct. All the things, information is correct and all these lovely paintings of birds and you're, you're essentially doing things in the game that makes sense uh, because of the way that the birds work in the real world. And they were, I like was reading some article on NPR and they were super excited about this game. And, and that's one of it's the- It's canon. Yeah. yeah well, well, that's one of the really nice things about board games. One of the things I love the most about board games, which is they can really be about anything. Yeah. All right. They don't like video games. I think 
For a long time, they weren't that way. They're about shooting stuff. Well, primarily. in the 90s, they're about shooting stuff. But remember the arcade days, the the old timey ones. Burger time. <laughs> I knew you were going to say burger time, right? Yeah, burger time and Quicks and Cubert and um, uh, Paperboy. Paperboy. And, I mean, Paperboy. You know, these were games that they weren't particularly violent. They were just about either weird little characters or strange little things or even mundane things but taken from a kind of more whimsical point of view. Yeah, like right? a job. Like yeah, a paper boy. like a, back when paper was printed and thrown at your door yeah, every day. Right. Dogs were loose all the time. And Dogs death was stalking you at every <laughs> oh moment. Oh my gosh, that kid Ooh, got yeah. ran over so many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the, the games, this is, I think, a bit of a misnomer that the poor game industry has had to deal with its entire time mm-hmm. is that sure there have been games that are violent and and there have been games that have been controversial almost since the start of gaming i the in my history class i teach about a game called death race which is only tangentially related to a movie called death, <laughs> death race 2000 and in it uh, you would drive your little car around and run over little people and they turn into tombstones and you'd bump into the tombstones if you weren't careful and you could trap yourself. And then, of course, mothers saw this and said, you are making little Jimmy learn how to kill people with cars. And the um, the company Exidy that made it said, well, those aren't people. Those are gremlins and it's okay to run over a gremlin. And yeah, so the, everybody so the, hates gremlins. Exactly. Nobody wants Always like stealing your socks. Exactly. Nobody wants a gremlin to live. So um, so at that point, the game industry just kind of poo-pooed everybody and, and went on with their business. But by the time we hit Mortal Kombat, we, we couldn't be ignored anymore. And, and so we get rating systems and whatnot. But that's fine. But, but the problem is that it gives the impression that every game is violent. Like if you went onto the street and said, hey, what do you think about video games? They'd be like, oh, they're so, I hate that they're so violent. But then you say, well, what about you know Angry Birds? And what about Cut the Rope? And what about uh, Pac-Man? And what about, you know, Portal. I mean, Portal. And it, well, Portal's pretty violent, actually, if you think about it. <laughs> it has violent story, but like <laughs> it, it the gameplay puzzles. Story. But the gameplay is, yeah. But, but whatever, the point is that um, I used to go to, you know, like Target or GameStop or whatever, and I would look at the shelves and I would calculate, all right, how many of these games are are violent, do violent acts, and how many of them are not? And to be honest, in my own personal research, which unfortunately I've never published, um, I found that things started to lighten up around like the late 2000s. Like it was a lot of it had to do with the resurgence of mobile gaming and Nintendo and the DS and things like that and the Wii um, because people will follow trends. And if games are shooty and violent, then other developers will follow trends and just say, oh, well, that's obviously popular. I'll do that. Well, you but, have to find that breakout yeah, game but if not, then, the model. Yeah, if not, they'll follow the other direction. And, and I think that if we were to calculate up the number of games that had violence in it versus the games that don't, I would say that I, my own guess is that it would be overwhelmingly in the direction of nonviolent games. Sure. There, well, and then the trend towards cooperative games. Oh, yeah. Right. Where you're just killing monsters. Well, but what uh, is the morality of monster killing? Well, <laughs> right. It depends on whose side you're on. Whose <laughs> side are you on, Becca? The monsters, of obviously. Course. Yeah, well, they're pretty cool. Cool. Uh, final thoughts on Wingspan? So, a uh, lovely game. Play it if you can. Uh, it's a little hard to find right now, but I'm sure yeah. they'll be doing another printing. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there. after winning the Kinderspiel. Yeah, it'll be it'll even be harder. Everywhere. And that's the interesting thing about the Spiel is that it's, um, particularly overseas, uh, it is a great um, 
a way to to get more sales. It, it literally causes a jump of about 10,000 units of, of sales, which is Not really bad. good for the board game. But what I think it will do is it will get um, either a Walmart or a Target uh, to carry it, uh, and then that means more people will be exposed to it. I've met several people who were not gamers who got into gaming because of Wingspan, actually, yeah. yeah. Got well, into gaming because of Wingspan? Yes, they, they, were, they, were, they were invited to a board game night and they were tentative. But the are board they ornithologists? Game, they are not. They are just nerds. <laughs> but not of the gaming variety. Yeah. And they were invited to a board gaming night and the first one that got pulled out was Wingspan and they fell in love. Yeah. And I was really surprised that that was how they got in, but they did. Yeah, which is, which is nice because now you can Sherpa them towards yeah, yes. other games, other right? Things. Exactly. Yeah, you can say, look, it's not, you know, if you like this type of theme of, you know, nature, you can look at photosynthesis or you can look at Bosque or you can look at... Um, photosynthesis is a beautiful yeah, game. Yeah. Well, like you're talking about with like, not only just violence, but also just like design of games and what their their themes are, the birds and the way actually the aesthetics of that game in particular, it's very welcoming. Mm-hmm. It's very easy and it's not a big dude in a variety of armor with huge swords that you're like, okay, I don't know what this guy does versus this person. Right, right. There's friendly numbers and looking birds. There's there's something for everybody. There's Pretty nothing there's nothing wrong with a you know a beefy guy with a broadsword and chainmail, but um, but it's not for everybody. And and once again, like I said, the great thing about board games is there's something for everybody. Mm-hmm. There literally is something for everybody. If you name a topic. I can find you a game that you'd be interested Charlatanism. in. Charlatanism. Charlatanism. Well, that's the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> so you take that. That's a game about bluffing past. Uh, or you favorites. could do Snake Oil, which is a game literally about being a charlatan, right? <laughs> about trying to sell products to people that are ridiculous. I was trying to feed you into the quacks. Yeah, I actually oh, wanted to have that too. Right, or the quack. But well, you know, well, that's even better. You led into it with two other ones as well. Well, the, well, ir- the irony about the quacks of Quidlinburg, which is another one of my favorite games right now, uh, is I don't view it as a game about charlatans. I oh, think okay. it's a game about witches making brew, and I think that they tweak the theme just a little bit to push it away from witchiness. And oh. make it it's definitely more. witches. Yeah. I looked at it and I said, oh, okay, we're witches. You're putting, oh, you're putting spiders and ghost farts in into a cauldron. Well, that's I mean, that's essentially what doctor, the medical profession was hundreds Ghost of years farts, ago, right? All right Ghost farts? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know if you mentioned this, but it was the 2018 Kinnerspiel de Jar yeah. was the Quacks of Quedlinburg. Yeah, that's a very, very great game. I, I think it has a very interesting, um, you're pulling these ingredients out of a bag. Mm-hmm. You each have your own individual bag. Um, do you want to get into a little bit of just how a basic turn works, because yeah. it has an interesting system of the way that you score points. Right. So um, it's a push your luck game uh, and a bag builder, uh, which means that push your luck means that you can keep taking moves until you essentially bust. So a bit like blackjack, right? Most people, or my favorite, Farkle. Oh, yes, Farkle. Yeah. Yeah. Farkle is my wife's favorite game as well, although she calls it... Um, something else and I'm blanking for the moment but anyway yeah, it's one of those that was around long before it was ever published right right yeah somebody just took a essentially a folk game and then branded it and and voila now they're making money off of something that somebody else came up with yep. which which is unfortunately a bit of a, a trend in board you can gaming. name a few yeah yeah monopoly for example is the most known example of that but anyway Ooh. Um, so uh, it's a push your luck in the sense that you can keep making moves until you uh, cannot uh, and usually it's some condition in the game that says nope you've busted or you've hit a number or something like that there's another really great uh, 
Uh, anyway, there's a lot of great push like games, like <laughs> Ink and Gold uh, is a really good one as well. Mm-hmm. But um, And then the bag building means that you have a physical bag. Everybody has their own little cute bag. And in that go uh, these tokens that are ingredients. Uh, and there are good ingredients and there are bad ingredients. You're drafting these ingredients? Well, you start out with a kind of a set number of ingredients. And then as you go, as you put the ingredients in your pot, they, they kind of swirl around in this a concentric circle and depending on the distance you get on mm. the circle determines the number of points you have to spend on uh, uh, during How long the it's phase. been like simmering kind of yeah yeah <laughs> That's yeah cool. and uh and so um if I get a pretty good spiral going, I can get, you know, like 20, 30 points, and then I can use those to buy more ingredients. And certain things synergize. So, for example, when certain things are pulled, I might be able to pull more. Or if I place something after something else, my points might escalate for that turn. So um, as you go, you are kind of trying to get the longest swirl in your pot possible. But there's some very clever catch-up mechanics in the game as well, which is there's a little rat that you can throw into your pot uh, to kind of, I don't know, give it a little protein or something. <laughs> and uh, mm, and the delicious. rat like is a catch-up mechanism that allows you to kind of bump out the tail of your swirl. So, for example, if Becca is, is kicking butt, she might not get the rat. But if I'm behind her, I can put my rat like one or two spots from the starting position so now i have a little bit of a handicap and so it's this it's it's based on points so as you gain more points uh, the further you are behind in the point the victory track mm-hmm. the more rat you get to kind of move your tail up um so so that gives me the potential to get more points so that way i can kind of catch up and buy ingredients to help me then your bag the, yeah to put and my, your bag is essentially bag. it's a deck builder by another name it's absolutely about deck builder. A, cool that's interesting yeah. but, I like that. but it has a the visual mechanics of seeing the spiral of ingredients yeah, in yeah, your yeah, pot it's... is very satisfying oh, yeah. this is one i've watched a lot of playthroughs on haven't had the chance to myself it's but got great table love presence. that mechanic yeah it really does and very colorful it, yeah brings a different take on the deck building genre. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Wolfgang Warsh's game, and that guy is on fire. He did The Mind, which also mm-hmm. won the Spiel des Jahres. Now, that's an improv class game oh, yeah. that has been... See, that falls in the category for me, but I do love The Mind. Yeah, I mean, yeah. putting adding the cards to it does change it slightly. Yeah, I think I like The Mind a little better than The Game. The Game, I think, was the first one, and The Mind was the second one. Oh, I didn't know that. I w- was referring to something. The so, The Mind... Uh, reminds me a lot of an improv game in which everyone closes their eyes, stands in a circle, and has to count to 20. But if anyone says the same number... They're executed. (laughs) Then everyone has to start over. It's not elimination. It's all cooperative. Yeah, once again, taking these kind of almost like folk games in a way, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a... I know there's a million improv games. I've not taken a class myself, but I've, I've looked at the types of things that are kind of common to the improv community. And... um, and yeah, there's so many great games that I think mechanically there's things that could very easily translate into board yeah. games. Although the mind is a little more interpretive, it does have a different strategic element, whereas sure. the other one is just sort of feeling out. Well, you know, no, that's part psychically. of psychically. I mean, that that's is part still of it. Part yeah. of that mind, is part of it. Right? Yeah. Like you have that where you're like, eh, are we going? Eh, going? You know, you're going? You're going? I have a five. Does she have the It's six? actually a whole a... different level of it because of that physical right. nature of it. Whereas usually closing your eyes gives you no visual information, but you're looking around the circle of the table and like, who's got. 98 while I have 99. Actually, yeah, we should explain the goal, which is very simple. It's it's a, a, a 
stack a deck of cards numbered 1 to 100 and in round one everyone's given a, a small amount of cards and all you need to do is have the person with the lowest card in their hand or thinks they have the lowest card place that down first and then in sequence stack them uh, without going out of numerical order right and you get like three lives or something like that yeah if you, if uh, you... cool. uh, t- together Everyone right right together yeah, it's a shared yeah. cooperative game and then the sequel, which is the mind, the original was the game, right? And then the sequel is the mind. And then the mind gives you, like... <laughs> was it Ninja Star? Yeah, yeah. Talk about ludonarrative ludo dissonance. <laughs> you have, like, Ninja Stars for some reason <laughs> that help you. Like, if you screw up, it helps save you from a from a when when you accidentally you know hey uh, you know Becca puts out a 32 and then I go to put out a 51 and it's like Jake's like no I had a 45 and so we can ninja star that move prevent one loss yeah prevent a loss so I think it has a little bit more choice in it which I like in games I'd much rather have some choice than feel like you're being a little railroaded by the game you don't think personified bunnies would throw ninja stars well maybe Uh, I've seen ninja turtles they do yeah for sure Rabbits, ra- what is it? The Ubisoft games, rabbits, 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 raving rabbits. You guys don't know that video? No. Game? The raving rabbits. I know Jazz Jack Rabbit, but that's all old right. school. Well, all right, that's pretty old school. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of rabbits out there. They're multiplying. Oh my goodness. Well, I want to ask a follow-up question please. about positions at the table. Actually, <laughs> go I don't want to go back because I never really. Gonna, I need a good name for this theory. Now that's fine. We can we can keep it as it is for now. Well, is it as a as a placeholder, mm-hmm. well, it's, it, at the it table. started with the uh, it started the uh, with the idea of what I called handiness, mm-hmm. which Ooh. was how you interacted with things in your hand. There's different ways that you you know, like like for example, there are the people that play Uno that always have to have them in the right order, mm. right? And mm-hmm. otherwise, they it just freaks them out. They're like, oh, I just gotta get them in the or or by color or whatever, right? Um, and and so I noticed that there was always a lot of business going on in people's hands. And then I started thinking about, well, how can I gamify that? Like, Ooh. how can I take the idea of, like, I have this idea of this card game. I still, I need to build it. But essentially, uh, the idea is that you have maybe a hand of, like, four or five hexagonal cards. And on each of the corners of the hexagon, there's a statistic or some sort of um, uh, like a command almost. And the characters, they're meant to be like your little party in D&D. And when something happens, like when a player plays something, it affects one of the cards and then you have to rotate that card. And then depending on what face is showing, it has like a cascade effect. So if it's, so like, let's say like somebody hits somebody and you get like a little pow symbol. If that pow symbol is next to another character, it's going to move that other card so many spots, but then that's going to cause something else But all else within to happen. your hands. But all within your hands. And hand. you're just giving us your mechanics ideas <laughs> in this well, podcast. So here's Listeners. The, here's the thing. Mechanics cannot be copyrighted. However, the execution of them is what's important, right? Yeah. Writing, writing the rules, making the art, uh, things like that. So I can throw out a million ideas to everybody. Matter of fact, that's what we do on Lodology. We give people tons of ideas of, of mechanics and mechanisms that they can use to make their own games. But really the... 
the the you know the rubber hits the road when you make it that's what matters is and that's what i tell everybody when they say well what should i do about making games i just say make it just make the game <laughs> Truth. Right? Yeah, so of course teacher. i'm not following my own advice i need to make this game but uh, but yeah for those of you out there that are like i want to be a game designer well musicians play music artists make art game designers make games yeah make, go make a game yeah garrett you hear this you yeah hear that garrett, go make a game do it man. okay i want to play not it. listening you know, i know but i'm going to make him listen to this we're going to get this timestamp i'm looking at the clock now okay great starved wire uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um <clears throat> deep deep cut that no one but no uh, one that's only the crew. Our former dp for game the game will get we hid starved wire we call it uh, it's kind of like barbed wire made of stars mm-hmm. in as many episodes of How to Play as possible. Hundreds. So go back and find the starved wire. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's the name of the, game. the game company that we thought of before we thought of any games. Uh, <laughs> 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 I was going to say, it's beautiful that you just like, love to give ideas and inspire. Uh, that that's a thing that's come about with teaching, or have you always been that way? Um, I So in 2008... I had I'd been going to the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, which is a big video game conference for mostly creators. And I was sitting in a uh, – actually, it was 2007. And I was sitting in a uh, – going to all these different lectures, and I, I turned to a friend of mine, and I'm like, I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this conference anymore. I feel like I've heard it all. And I didn't like that. And I, and I didn't like – that my company was sending me up to go as a representative, and I felt like I was kind of wasting their money. And I didn't want I, – I wanted to keep going. And I'm like, I got to do something to kind of step up my game. Otherwise, I don't feel like I can kind of in my heart justify me going to this thing anymore. And so I said, all right, well, let me submit a talk. And so I submitted a talk about boss fights because I had made a lot of video games with boss fights in it. It's something I was kind of known for. And I essentially was called like how to make the world's greatest boss fight and why not to do it. And um, and I gave this talk and it went over very why not to do it why not to do it yeah okay yeah and um, and I uh, uh, gave the talk and it was very well received they have a system within the um, the organization that they have these deck of playing cards and if you are a top rated player or speaker you get your face on one of the playing cards so the that next year i got my face on the deck of playing cards and so i was like wow that was really fun and it was well received and rewarding to have your face immortalized (laughs) i mean i'm not in it for the playing card but but it didn't hurt but um but i thought about like well what do i want to do next like what do i do for an encore and i i gave uh, ended up giving a talk about level design in disneyland and it's kind of one of the things i'm most known for which is a talk called everything i learned about level design i learned from disneyland and you can find it online and it's in the gdc archives and there's a couple other places that have it but that talk it's fair to say that from a professional career that talk changed my life uh, because it got me a book deal my first book deal it got me my job at imagineering um, it's kind of the book is the book is what I'm well known for I think maybe more than anything else but um, but the talk also is a bit was a kind of the heart of the book uh, I, I a fellow from Wiley Preston a guy named Chris Webb who I'm eternally uh, thankful for he reached out to me and he said hey um, could you write a book kind of about this talk and I said, well, yeah, I, but I mean, it, I don't know if that's going to go very far. And he's like, well, let's it, let's instead write a book about your ideas about video game design. And so that's where Level Up came mm-hmm. from. And, had you uh, ever thought about writing a book before? I had because I at that point I was working for a publisher, THQ, and I would go around the world and go to all these developers 
And they were they were making really cool stuff, but I found myself kind of saying the same thing over and over again. And I would th- I would kind of mock threaten them and go, you know, one day I'm just going to write a book, hand you the book, and go, all right, read this, and then we can talk. <laughs> and uh, because they, uh, all the Quit things repeating I was repeating everyone yeah, else, yeah, I don't want to repeat the same thing over and over again. Just read the book. Um, so I started thinking about, well, if I did write a book about game design, what would I write about? And so I had an outline of kind of all the topics I would talk about. At the same time, I was working with a group called Fifth Cell, and they were doing a game called Drawn to Life. Uh, and it's a DS game where you draw your characters in. It's a very, very clever game. They were the guys that went on to do Scribble Knots. And um, the creative director there, a guy named Jeremiah, he said, hey, Scott, you've made a lot of platform games. Can you tell me everything you know about platform games? And I go, no, but I will write down kind of the basics. And I found that over the years, in order for me to effectively communicate, I tend to draw it as a cartoon because that's just kind of how I'm wired. And so I drew something called the Platform Primer, which you can find on my blog spot, which is Mr. Boss Design. or Yeah, Mr. Boss Design. And uh, it's essentially like – it almost looks like a coloring book, really, um, of how to do platform gameplay design. As a matter of fact, I just recommended it not too long ago because everybody's been doing Mario Maker 2. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, That's such a cool tool yeah. as well. Oh, I yeah. That. Those games are amazing. But all the things that if you want to do like the basics of a platform game, which is the Mario games, if you look at my platform primer, you're going to pick up a lot of good rules of thumb for, for making it. Um, and it's about like 20 pages long, but it's got all these drawings. And so when uh, Chris from Wiley said, well, what are you thinking this book be like? I had the outline in one hand. I had the platform primer in the other and the Disneyland talk. And I said, it's kind of a mix of these three things. That's kind of what the, the book should be. And he was like, great, let's do it. Let's let's make this <laughs> Let's book. publish this thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I, looking well, at your platform primer, and it is charming. This mix of text and imagery yeah. is my favorite way to learn. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's – I mean, I – nobody wants to read a huge, massive um, just wall of text, right? I've learned that, you know, you, you can make a game design document that is that. Especially when learning. Right, but nobody's going to want to read it. Yeah. Even if it's about cool things like, you know, fighting monsters and getting treasure and things like that, people still are very adverse to reading these huge things of text. And I found – that they will look at it if there are funny little pictures involved. And so uh, if you look at the platform primer and then you look at pages of Level Up, it's it's very similar. Like there's a lot of illustrations. There's like about 400 illustrations. Did in you level do up. all those oh, illustrations? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I drew them all wow. myself. Um, and uh, and so it gets people excited and, and helps them kind of – it helps have like little visual memory. You know, like you can tag a, a drawing with a concept and you can kind of go, oh, yeah, I remember that funny little drawing. It reminds me of this thing that I should remember about game design. Plus, Level Up, both Level Up editions, because there's two editions of the book, uh, they have the best chili recipe you will find in a game design book. Oh, sold. And if you buy uh, both the first and second edition, totally different chili recipes. Uh, My mom begs to differ. Well, you'll just have to try them out, won't you? Mm. I guess so. I guess so. There's only one way to find out. Uh, Chili (laughs) cook-off. All right. One final question for you. What do you get out of designing video games that is different from what you get out of designing tabletop games. Oh, oh and how'd that oh, crossover happen? Well, or, so the so the video games. I love making video games, but if the power goes out, you just have a very lovely coaster. <laughs> and actually, you don't even get the coaster anymore, nope. right? It's all it's digital all download. digital download. Curse you, Steam. <laughs> anyway. Um, I love toys. I am a toy collector. I have I to this day I still go to Target and look for action figures. I I uh, I love physical things. 
And even though I love making video games, video games are really just kind of this virtual stand-in for toys. Um, and so my my first published board game, Ray Guns and Rocket Ships, is all about it's got little miniatures, spaceships, and aliens and characters, and you move them around, and you know, um, yeah, it's you're literally playing with these toys in this in this game environment. The <laughs> the game. Some people have accused me of just only wanting to make the toys that they're like, well, the <laughs> the game is just in support of the toys. But anyway, it's a fun game. I played it. Oh, I that's good. It. I, yeah, I thank you. It was it was fun to play with you. Um, but uh, anyway, the, I love the toyetic nature of tabletop. games game design. I love the physicality of it. Mm -hmm. And so that is extremely satisfying to me. And so I'm always looking at games from that perspective. I'm always like, how can you manipulate them first? How can you make them? And I, I would really love to make, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm quite minded this way, but I love like people always poo poo them and say, well, ironically, they poo poo the games like, like don't wake daddy or don't step in the dog poo or, and they're, and some of those games are horrible, right? Like they're, they're barely a game, yeah. but I love the fact that they create like this, like they're making a very epic stance about like, here is this plastic bed with this plastic dad that as you're kind of working around, all of a sudden this thing kind of launches up, right? And, or there's a game my kids had called Captain Bones Gold. And it had like this, a uh, mechanical skeleton in the middle and you're kind of moving your little pirates around this island that's all made out of gorgeous molded plastic. It's kind of like Fireball Island, but less involved, right? And then at a certain point, you press the top of this plastic monkey's head and this this uh, treasure chest in the middle of the board like shakes and rattles and then if you get bad timing the lid like pops off and the skeleton like launches himself <laughs> across the board and you have all the little movers have these little coins on them that have magnets in it. And so the skeleton will reach out and whoop and like grab the <gasps> coin off of your little oh, guy brilliant. and retreat back into his Ooh, chest. Yeah, hungry hippo style. And just from a yeah, and just from a toy perspective, you're like, all right, there's not a lot of game here, but the but the the stuff that's going on is uh, is epic right it's so well fun. that's just like uh what was it uh, operation was a cool yeah, yeah, game yeah. like that yeah, and perfection absolutely. there's yeah there's the dex games yeah. but yep. it's it's not just dexterity it's it's the incorporation of how can i have toys and then build a game around them right yeah pretty much <laughs> and so that's that's a lot of my mode a lot of the designs that i'm working on I'm always thinking about it from that perspective of like the tactile how, nature. Yeah, how can I make some sort of tower or some sort mm -hmm. of little landscape or like because they're the tabletop a lot of tabletop games I mean they can get very abstract but a lot of them are also these like it's like the same kind of thing that when you see like a train set or something right like it's this miniature world and there's something very charming about the miniature world yeah. and and I like creating worlds I love like I've been lucky to help create a lot of nice little franchises and video games and so I want to keep doing that I, you know when I made Ray Guns and Rocket Ships that's my version of Star Wars that's my little world that I've created and you know and I I get a lot of pleasure of just seeing all those little pieces laid out and it's like oh look it's you can kind of tell what's going to happen because you're, the world kind of informs that. It's the collector in you. The yeah. <laughs> toy collector. I've All never right. quite outgrown that. So. Hey, and you don't have to. It's, it is celebrated in this weird yeah, the world nerds, we live in. The nerds have won. We won the culture war. <laughs> Woohoo! It was a long, hard fight. I was there for all of it. But, yeah, uh, now but, we have to burn everything down. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Uh, civilization. All right, well... Scott, it's been such a pleasure to have you here. Yeah. Oh, I, I do have one final, final question, which okay. is a question uh, I've asked to other guests. It's, um, what is a personality quality that can help someone to become a better gamer to game with? Ah. What makes someone fun to game with? Right, right. So, um, 
a willingness to try new things. That, of course, right? Um, but I think, well, I think, uh, I don't know if I'm misinterpreting your question, but. No, it's uh, to be interpreted as you see fit. Being patient, right? Because everybody's in a hurry to like play the game, play the game, play the game. And you have to be gentle enough and 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 slow enough to make sure that they get it and present it in a fun way, right? Like make a fun event out of it. There are certain games that lend themselves more, I mean, you know, theme is a is a big part of it, right? So if I were to play Wingspan, maybe we would, you know, turn on a little ambiance of the forest, you know, with the <laughs> birds tweeting in the background. You know, maybe we'd break out a nice little drink, you know, and you guys could have your white wine and I'll have my, you know, my whatever. Avian themes, uh, yeah, honeydew, nectar. Maybe like a, make a little bowl nest of uh, nest. pretzel sticks or yeah. something, right? You know, <laughs> whatever, have a, make it fun, make it Game an night. event, right? But, but but really um, uh, kind of being a good host to your players because you don't want to scare them off. It, gaming is, is – there's a lot of hurdles to get over for gaming. And the less – the more you can remove those hurdles, the more likely you're able to bring people in. And then they'll realize – this was fun. This was not painful. It was not too bad. The anxiety's I, down. The anxiety is down. To it. Hey, I've played a game. I'll I'll play another one. Let's try something else. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Uh, well, sh- let's shout out Ludology. Where can they find your podcast? Uh, Ludology. Just look up Ludology <laughs> podcast on Google. I think it's at like Libsyn Sync or something like that. I, for- I always forget the address. Sorry, Wherever guys. you get your podcast. Wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Ludology podcast. I do. Um, I, like I said, I'm the co-co-host, so I show up every so many weeks. But then I also do a segment called Biography of a Board Game, and that's a little bit more regular. That's every fourth or fifth week. Uh, and then uh, if you want to reach out to me online, you can go to Mr. Boss Design on Blogspot. You can find me I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over Twitter. Uh, I think I'm Mighty Bedbug on Twitter. Um, And then I have fan pages for both Ray Guns and Pantone. So if you are into those games and if you are into those games, a Amazon review or a nice review on BoardGameGeek.com always helps the creator. So even if it's not me, if there's somebody else, if you want to give Elizabeth Hargraves a good review of Wingspan, I'm sure she'd appreciate it on BoardGameGeek.com. Um, us designers need as much support and love as possible, so uh, don't be afraid to help us out. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure that I give my reviews on Thank both you. of those platforms now that I know. I'd love to help out. And make sure that if people do play Pantone that they post yeah. their photos yeah, yeah. of their creations on Pantone, the game fan page on Facebook. Uh, all right. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Scott Rogers, such a pleasure to have you here. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And thinking. And in the vein of rating, subscribing, getting your friends to go look at something, please do that for victory points. We want all your friends to find out about us. So make sure you do all those things. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.